Get ready to hear some noise tonight. You're about to go behind enemy lines with the original Blues Hockey Podcast. Let's go Blues Radio. Welcome to Let's Go Blues Radio, the original hockey podcast for your Stanley Cup champion, St. Louis Blues. I am your host, Jeff Ponder, and this is Season 8, Episode 16, Franchise Episode number 202. 202. Big thanks to the Wild and Free for the use of their song, Fire. Make sure you check them out on YouTube as well as Spotify to hear some more from them. Uh, Tom Calhoun as well. Thank you very much to him for uh, doing the intro for us. PAGuyTom.com to check out all that he does. Also, make sure you check out the Let'sGoBlues.com shop and consider buying yourself a reasonably priced shirt, mug, or sticker. All proceeds go back into the show. If you're wondering what some of those shirts look like on people, you can check out the last live show we did, episode number 200, the uh, extravaganza that was the 200th episode. Uh, Kurt and I were wearing some custom Let's Go Blues radio shirts, and uh, Kurt designs all those. He does a great job, so uh, make sure you check those out and uh, get yourself some apparel that not only uh, benefits the show, but obviously shows uh your fandom as well because uh there's some great uh some great blues apparel that kurt has created in there make sure you subscribe to the show on spotify apple or google podcasts wherever you get your podcasts you can also listen at let's go blues radio.com and uh if you are on apple Podcasts, please give us that five star rating and leave a review let us know what you like about the show Uh, That does help people find us. Well, let's get to the first segment of the show. This is where we're going to keep the party going. So, of course, Keep the Party Going is the segment of the summer shows of Let's Go Blues Radio behind enemy lines. Uh, We we basically read off emails they sent from you, uh, the listeners. And, uh, yeah, just tell us uh, what the championship means to you, how long you've been a fan, um, you know, anything you want to talk about. You get the idea by listening to these, what people are writing into us. So uh, we, I think we might actually be out uh, after this one today. So, again, if you uh, have not sent in your email yet or keep the party going, uh, you'll want to get that in because our next show is on Wednesday uh, the 14th. And I don't, as of now, I have nothing to read, I believe. So, uh, again, if you have not sent in an email to us, radio at letsgoblues.com, uh, and want to contribute to keep the party going, then please do send that in. Uh, again, radio at letsgoblues.com. If, uh, to make it easy on you, 
you could go to our show page, letsgobluesradio.com, and uh, on every one of the Behind Enemy Lines uh, episodes, you can actually uh, just click the link there uh, that says uh, to contribute to keep the party going, and that will automatically send an email to us, which again is radio at letsgoblues.com. So this one comes from Greg. Greg with two G's as well. That's, that's interesting. Uh, he's in Philadelphia, so uh, you know the the birthplace of uh, of gl- the blues's love for Gloria. Greg says, "Hey Jeff, although I was born in St. Louis, my true fandom of the blues came a little later in my life. I knew about them, had the Brett Hall comics from McDonald's and stuff, but it wasn't really till I lived with my buddy Jack. He had been a blues fan for as long as I knew him." And having someone there to help break down the game for me really opened everything up. Him and our other roommate, Ryan, joined the Blues crew, which just gave us more excuses to go to the games. I even got to play one of those games during the intermission they put on the big screen and failed miserably. During one game, I wish I could remember which exactly, but I watched Keith Kachuk block a shot with his face. He managed to still clear the puck and skate off. He immediately became my favorite player for his grit alone. I haven't lived in St. Louis for almost 10 years now, but that hasn't stopped my love affair with the blues from growing. If anything, it has afforded me some fun and unique opportunities and helps keep me connected with my roots and friends. During my time living in New York City, it was easy enough to get to see the blues versus the Rangers at MSG, the Islanders at Barclays Center, and the Calcium Devils at the Prudential Center, and even take a train to Philadelphia for a Flyers game with the in-laws. Our two families have a healthy Blues-Flyers rivalry. There were even competing Blues-Flyers chants at our wedding. My friend Naven, also from St. Louis but living in New York City, got to see a Blues-Islanders game in 2014 where Allen got pulled after the first and were lucky enough to watch Brodor take over for an amazing Blues comeback and ultimately dominating at a 6-4 win. After the game, we got to go down around the ice and meet Bacchus. I chose to remember him this way. When it was announced the Blues were going to get their first Winter Classic, me and all three of the aforementioned buddies had to be there, even though we had all moved to different cities around the country. Well worth the expense and manipulating of holiday schedules to watch the Blues beat the Blackhawks at Bush Stadium. I even got to go to the alumni game with my parents and sister and see Keith Kachuk dab in person after a goal. I choose not to remember him this way. Haven and I got to go to the next Winter Classic in New York City. It really showed how much St. Louis cared about the Classic. Not to poo-poo on theirs, but St. Louis and the Blues really knocked it out of the park. A little pun there. Bush Stadium. I like that. I moved to Philly at the beginning of this year just in time to see the magic of Bennington's first start. He made my nephew cry, but that's fine. Flyers fans need to get used to disappointment. I actually live a few blocks from Jack's NYB. I was tempted to watch a game there, but by the time I figured out where it was, I was too stressed to watch the game with strangers at a bar. For Game 7 versus Boston, my wife whipped up some homemade toasted rows for extra luck, and it was obviously the extra push the Blues needed. I couldn't keep up with all the texts coming in from my friends and fellow Blues and hockey fans. It was so nice to be talking to old friends who helped my love of hockey grow or people who I introduced hockey to and were Blues fans since I talked about them so much and they all knew how excited I was. But as you say, let's keep the party going. 
When they announced the parade being on a Saturday, I knew what had to be done. My wife and I finagled the Friday before off and went on a road trip. A short 14 and a half hours later, and we were there. Joining up with my parents, we made our way down and enjoyed everything. You only get to win your first Stanley Cup once. On my annual guys trip meeting up with my old St. Louis friends, I don't think there was a single moment when at least one of us wasn't wearing blues gear. Our Airbnb had a flagpole, so we of course uh, brought a fresh blues Stanley Cup champion flag to hang. We even got a guy playing music at a bar to play Gloria, even though we were in Florida. As life continues to inevitably change, it's good to have some consistency to hold on to and keep one connected. Even through all the heartbreak, it is broken with others and we are there for each other. And in those rare times of triumph, we all get to lift on one another and celebrate. You guys do a great job with everything. Thank you for everything. And let's go Blues. Uh, Greg, that's awesome. Uh, blues fan in Philadelphia. The minute I saw you were from Philly, I thought, oh, well, he's been to Jack's NYB, right? Well, apparently not. So uh, make your way down there sometime this year. I'm sure there's still going to be uh, people there watching Blues games because it was such a big deal. Um, Greg also sent over a couple images um, the the image of the 2019 Stanley Cup champions banner hanging from his Airbnb in Florida uh, a picture of him with David Backus as he had mentioned and then um, I guess a picture of him at the parade good really cool shot actually of uh, the uh, the Capitol building and the arch in the background as he stands uh, uh, kind of close to one of the fountains out there and then uh, I guess another game of him at a blues game with the uh, uh, Pretty crazy, like wrestler-looking mask on. Um, it looks like I was actually at the Winter Classic. Now that I, I look at it, because uh, I saw a Blackhawks logo around his neck, and I thought, "What?" But it was like a lanyard, and uh, obviously it has both teams' logos on it. So, so he gets a pass there. Uh, but yeah, Greg, thank you very much for writing in. Very cool to hear from you. Well, let's get into our guest of this show. Uh, James from the Avs Hockey Podcast joins me. Uh, I've known James for a long time. He came on to one of my old podcasts that I used to do and uh, talked about the Avalanche with me. So uh, James, very knowledgeable guy. We talk not only uh, we talk not only Avalanche, but we talk a lot about uh, kind of free agency in general and have a good little hockey discussion uh, during the off season. This was recorded uh, the last day of July, so just recently this uh, interview was conducted. So we do talk a little bit about the uh, Avalanche's big off-season uh, acquisitions they've had so far. Today we are talking Colorado Avalanche on Let's Go Blues Radio Behind Enemy Lines. I'm your host, Jeff Ponder, and I'm joined by James of the ha- uh, Avs Hockey Podcast. We'll get to James here in a second. First, I want to go over a couple of uh, important notes in Blues and Avalanche history. So the Blues' all-time record against the Avalanche and the Quebec Nordiques franchise, 140 Games played, 68 wins, 54 losses, 11 ties, and 7 overtime losses. The Blues' first meeting with the Quebec Nordiques was on November 11th, 1979. That was a 4-1 loss in St. Louis. And then the first meeting with them as the Avalanche took place on October 14th, 1995. That was a 4-1 win in St. Louis for the Blues. A couple of special notes from that game included Brian Noonan scoring a shorthanded game-winning goal unassisted, and then uh, Shane Corson, a uh, short-lived blue, scored his first goal as a St. Louis blue that night. 
No, I do not remember that game, so we were not going to discuss it, but just thought there were some interesting notes from that one. And then another important note in Blues and Nordiques history, uh, February 15th, 1990, Brett Hall scored a very big goal. Uh, he broke Wayne Babich's record for most goals in a season uh, for a right winger, scoring 50, his 55th goal uh, in a 9-2 Blues home win against the Nordiques. Uh, of course, that year he went on to score 72, uh, which at the time was the most by a right winger. And of course, that was before his 86 goal season. So an important note there in Blues and even uh, Nordiques history. Uh, so uh, now that we uh, have gone over a lot of these very important stats that n- neither of us remember, I want to introduce James Graylian of the Avs Hockey Podcast. James, thanks for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm sorry that it uh, was such – it was hectic getting here. You know, we, yes. we, 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 I can't imagine the amount of planning and logistics that you had to do to make this many episodes with just bloggers er, and podcasters everywhere. It's been interesting, as I as I've told a couple of people. I've uh, it's I've I've met some great people doing this. Uh, mm-hmm. Luckily, I've I've already known. I, I've met you a long time ago. Uh, people like Michael from the Oilers. I, I've known him, but I've I've gotten to know some good people. But I've also gotten to know some people who said they do stuff, but then not <laughs> end up doing stuff. So it's uh, it's been interesting to say. Really leaves them behind, you know? They, yeah. They, yeah. What? How long ago was it that you that we podcasted on on your show? It's been a oh long my goodness! Time. I want to say you were on one of my old shows, the Bash Brothers podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was uh, 2013, so okay. six years. Wow! Yeah, Man, that's been a while. I I, it has. I, used, I had hair back then. I did. <laughs> no, you're I not. Have hair back then. <laughs> I, say, I remember that. <laughs> uh, nice try. Nice try. Thanks. <laughs> um, so, uh, James, I, I want to thank you very much for coming on. Uh, again, I, I've, I've said this before that I followed you guys since I had you on my old show. Um, and uh, I think you guys do a great job. So uh, it's an honor to have you guys. I will have you on and, and much more important than James or Jay to do the show. So yeah, thank you very much you know, for coming on. He's 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 big and you know kind of slow. He moves slowly, so you know we just couldn't guarantee he was going to be here. That's plus true. He, That's plus true. he has a couple of kids he's got to take care of, so you know I I can understand. Oh well, yeah, well priorities. Right, yeah, we we often get asked like, why don't you podcast more? And it's like, well, I have a weird job, and he has and he has a family, and it's like we we do what we can, but yeah, no, we're never we're never satisfied with quite how much we get to do it. Uh, so you know, opportunities like this are kind of are kind of nice. Yeah, no, it's the same with us. We, uh, especially this last playoff run, we had a lot of people asking us, you know, hey, uh, you know, why don't you guys do two or three shows a week? And I'm like, if we could, we would do one oh, every day, but it we is, just can't. It is so hard. Like, people don't understand how much time it takes to actually put together a podcast. And they go, oh, you know, you're recorded for half an hour. That's all it takes. Nope. That's <laughs> no, not no, it. No. At least <laughs> three. If, if anybody out there is considering starting a podcast, it takes at least three times as long as the show to do the recording, the editing, the posting, all of that. So yep. just keep in mind, you know, an hour show can take three hours to to deal with. It's not not easy. So, And when you're a perfectionist, and I know that you are too, at getting mm-hmm. the sound to sound good, getting everything working right, not just throwing something together, it, it yeah, it takes a lot of time. So I'm oh, with yeah. you. Uh, so I, again, uh, Blues and Avalanche history. But before we get into uh, really the the two teams' history together, I wanted to talk to you real quick 
uh, about when the Avalanche came into the league in 1995-96. Uh, in mm -hmm. uh, that's a marquee year in the NHL just because, uh, obviously, again, that was the Avalanche's first year. But not only was it that the Avalanche came into the league and instantly were already a good team because of what Quebec had put together, mm -hmm. they went on to win the Stanley Cup that year. That well, is, is yeah. extremely impressive. I wanted to ask you about, like, as a as a as a hockey fan, as someone who was living in in the Colorado area, mm -hmm. um, what was it like just inheriting this team that instantly went on to win a cup? It was it, it was really odd. Um, we had the 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 landscape for sports around here was uh, basically it was, this this town is all about the Broncos. Uh, right. There was the Nuggets. Uh, the ba I believe the baseball came in in 93 with the Rockies. So it was just, it just become a three sport town. And the prior year, uh, the Denver Grizzlies of the IHL won their league. So that they actually, we had a championship team of minor league variety. And then as soon as they won, they moved on to uh, Utah and the avalanche came in. So the, so the the town went hockey mad for a moment for a minor league team. Then all of a sudden get the uh, get the uh, Nordiques. The big thing though, of course, is that if the Avalanche hadn't if if Colorado hadn't become hadn't come in, if the Nordiques had stayed in Quebec, they would never have been the same team as they as they were because of course Patrick Waugh and the big trade for Patrick Waugh happened. If it weren't for that, well, if 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 the Nordiques had stayed in Quebec, there's no way that Montreal would have ever traded for with, you know, with, with Waugh for that team. It just kind of worked out kind of strangely. So that if it weren't for that trade, obviously that wouldn't have happened. But. No, that's uh that was a definitely a game changer. I think that's still the only yeah. time. Cause that was something that was referenced when Ryan Miller was brought to St. Louis. That's the only time that a team has acquired a starting goalie mid year and went on to win the cup. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. I, I, Boy, I think so, but eh, you know, I don't put it, you on the spot there. Yeah, it's but also it was his. Uh, that would have been so. Oh, uh, ninety six was his uh, third cup since he'd won with uh, the last one that uh, Montreal's won, and I believe that was the last one that was won in uh, Canada. So there's yeah, a there's true. a lot more there than uh, than just than just that team coming in. And had the Nordiques come in and not made that uh, made that trade, they probably wouldn't have had that cup. Probably not. Stefan Fisse wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have <laughs> let him all the way, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, you know, you mentioned the Denver Grizzlies. Uh, mm -hmm. This this is a crazy little nugget that I just <clears throat> discovered. As you said that, I looked it up. That's the only year that the Denver Grizzlies existed, according yes. to Hockey DB. Yep. So they went on to win the championship that yep. year. And I'm looking at the roster. There's some interesting names here. Hit me. First of all. Starting goalie was Tommy Salo. Whoa. Yeah. Who, who eventually did play again for the play for the avalanche for, you know, for a cup of coffee there. Yeah. That was uh, after his implosion in the Olympics. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And of course, uh, that, uh, there was that great picture of, I believe it was, a it was a sticker, a puck that got stuck in his mask. Oh yeah. Jammed right puck. in there. Yeah. Yep. Oh man. <laughs> so a lot of these guys only played a, a couple games here and there, but uh, mm -hmm. there were some interesting names and some blues names here. Jamie McLennan played mm -hmm. in four games. Uh, wow. So uh, Ziggy Palfy was on that team. 33 games played 43 points. That's, that's not bad. Yeah. Uh, Doug Crossman, another former blue was on that team. Derek Armstrong, 
let's see. Uh, Terry Yake, uh, mm. currently the um, the man who's uh, in charge of the Blues alumni. So uh, that's yeah. that's pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, so it's a, that's an interesting little hockey nugget. The yeah. Denver Grizzlies, man, I'd love to grab a jersey of the uh, the Denver Grizzlies. That's I have I have a Denver Grizzlies jersey. They actually look a lot like uh, the current Utah Grizzlies jerseys. Uh, the Utah Grizzlies will make a jersey out of you know any style of jersey and sell it for the most amount I've ever seen a minor league jersey go for. <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. They even took the what I consider horrible uh avalanche blueberry third jerseys and Ooh. did a utah grizzlies version of that gross no it was terrible <laughs> it was terrible i love and i own a game worn um of uh, the third jersey when it was the burgundy of you know colorado oh, i love that one love yeah. that one they changed it to blue terrible just you yep. know. yeah so oh, I, that... I have a dan high note of that one so oh nice another yeah. blues connection there yep. i like that very cool um man yeah that's uh man that baroon jersey i did love that one um i i remember because people would compare the oh well you know it's a weird colored jersey like the nashville mustard yellow no mm -hmm. the maroon one was beautiful oh absolutely mustard yellow was disgusting it was terrible we and in colorado you know we have uh odd odd jerseys here because who else has purple well but the colorado rockies have purple and it's right. awesome. It's a it's a it's a great purple. It's like I don't know, royal purple or something weird like that. But that nobody else has that. Nobody else has that burgundy, you know. So and, no, I uh, love it. Yeah, there's a our was a the owner of the uh, Avalanche Cronky uh, has a stake in Arsenal, and they have a there. I believe they have burgundy that's very similar, and of course they have the soccer team here, and they have burgundy and blue. So. Uh, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bring up Cronky on a St. Louis podcast. You know what? I uh, oh, that's a good point. Yeah, and uh, you know, I'm I'm just not going to say anything else about him. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Well, about now that. that you mentioned him, I got to ask what okay. is uh, what's the take on him in Colorado? Do people even care about him? Is is he a, a known figure? Uh, you know what? There's a lot of there's a lot that I would abstain from about that. Uh, but. <laughs> And I don't, and I don't say that because, you know, ooh, I want to get in with the team or anything like that. It's just, I don't think that anybody, I don't think that people really notice him too much until uh, his name comes up. And yeah. for the most part, so what the, when he took over, when he bought the Rams, he had to sell his stake in um, the Avalanche and the Nuggets. Right. And, uh, but he basically just handed it over to his son. So right. it's still in the family. Um, around here, it's very much, uh, like the cronky sports and entertainment. Uh, but now that he's got bigger toys to play with, I think he pretty much just leaves it alone. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's kind of, yeah. And, and, and I'll admit, I think that's the same thing here in St. Louis. I think before the, uh, the relocation talk mm -hmm. started, I don't think anybody really even paid attention to Stan Kroenke, but now he's yeah. public enemy number one because oh, of, of what happened. Absolutely understandable. It was just, yeah. Bunch of bunch of hooey, bunch of yeah. So. Yep, I hear you. Uh, so getting into a little bit more of the Blues and Avalanche history, um, we mentioned the Stanley mm -hmm. Cup win in '95. Uh, there's another big Cup win, and and the Avalanche had to work through the Blues to uh, to get there, and that was in '01. This is a mm -hmm. very memorable year, and and again, those that listen to the show know that I say this, and then Kurt and Bill both agree. This was always the team we thought was the best chance for the Blues to go on to win the Stanley mm. Cup. Uh, this was the team they went out and got Keith Kachuk. They went out and got Scott Mellenby, Corey Stillman. 
and really the only weak link they had was in goal, Roman Turek, but who still put up really good numbers, at mm-hmm. least in the regular season, coming off a sweep of the Dallas Stars. They play in the uh, Western Conference Final against the Avalanche. Avalanche just came off a tough uh, seven-game series with the uh, LA Kings. And uh, Peter Forsberg uh, was uh, was unable to play in this series, which I remember that uh, he had a was it an, I think it was an appendectomy. It was the right? spleen. It was spleen. spleen. That's what yeah, it was. Spleen removed. Yep. So I I uh, I remember that because it was right before the series started that happened, and it was announced that he was out for the playoffs. And, and you're like, fans, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Blues fans instantly were like, well, we just won the series, and I'm like. They still have Sackick. They still have Hayduke. They still mm-hmm. have, I mean, a laundry list of players. I mean, they they stacked that team. Um, so again, you know, we don't need to break down every game of that series, but it was a it was a five game series. Joe Sackick uh, again. You know, you mentioned Peter Forsberg being out. You rely on a guy like Joe Sackick. Four goals, four assists in the series. Had the game winning, actually the series clinching overtime goal in game five. Mm. Um, just a monster series from Joe Sackick. I believe he went on to win the, uh, did he win the Conn Smythe that year? I believe he did. It was, he, he won it one year and, uh, and, uh, Wall won it one year. So, and I, frankly, I just can't remember which was, which one was which. So I believe, I believe, I believe this correct. was the one. I believe this was one. Yeah. And the, and, and you know, they also had an, another guy named Alex Tange who was like, you know, younger guy, nobody knew what would happen. And he winds up scoring two in the final game. Sackick scored one in the final, you know, to, to clinch. So, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a Chris pretty Drury good. Too. Oh, yeah. Chris Drury, Rob Blake. Uh, yep. And, and of course, you know, everybody, you know, Rob, uh, 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 Raymond Bork. Um, right. The one that, the one that actually people forget about, and he, because he w- he got traded basically before us, was Dave Anderchuk came in with Ray Bork on that, right. you know, on that trade. And then he goes away and, they win the cup without him. It's oh that that couldn't have felt good. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's good. funny you mentioned. I forgot about that because they they acquired <laughs> both of them, saying let's get these both a cup. Right, and then they ended up moving Andrew Chuck uh, mm-hmm. after the first year. Right, wasn't it that yep. next summer? I believe so. And then uh, of course he goes and wins the cup in uh, Tampa in two thousand four. Right. So he still got his cup. That was that was good. You know, first first guy to hoist the cup in the last year without a, you know before the lockout. It's, it's yep. yeah. And and he was one of those guys when you uh, when he won the cup, it was good because that guy's not going to be playing in the you know he didn't play again in the in the cap era, so if he hadn't done it then, that was going to be it. So good for yep. him, of course. No, that was great. Yeah, I remember uh, there was a lot of uh, Tampa fans that I talked to who said that he was kind of on his last leg. It was like one of those things where it's if he doesn't win this now, he's mm-hmm. never going to win it as a player, even if he continues on, because no cup team's going to employ him which i mean i thought he was okay but uh but yeah i mean i could definitely see that uh he was getting older the kind of game he played it's uh it's tough to continue on especially if there's a full year of the nhl not playing so yeah good for him to go on to win his cup but but i want to talk to you about ray bork that's the one that uh everyone talks about it and i know blues fans it was a sore subject for a while because that was the year the blues are supposed to play but again <laughs> we we talk about an interesting year the first time the avalanche win the cup this is another interesting one, and I think it's interesting uh, in terms of Ray Bork. He gets his number retired, which we'll talk about that in a minute in, in Colorado. But, um, you know, obviously, NHL icon, everybody knew the name. He was a household name. Mm-hmm. Everyone was rooting for him who wasn't playing against him. Um, this was 
a, a big moment in the NHL. It's one of the uh, most famous moments, I think, in, in all of NHL history when he raises the cup, when Joe Sackick hands it to him. But it's it's interesting because Boston, obviously, he's a Bruin. He's a lifelong Bruin. Mm-hmm. He gets traded to win a cup in Colorado, and, and uh, Rob Blake falls in the same boat there, too. But obviously, you're rooting for your team to win. Obviously, it's it's exciting. Mm-hmm. But to witness a guy like Ray Bork, who hadn't been there for that long, and you knew was going to go, was going to retire, um, what was that like as a fan to witness uh, uh, kind of an NHL legend win it with uh, with your team, even though that's not really the team he was known for playing on? It was it was a lot of fun. I mean, that's the most important thing was just how much fun it really was. If the uh, yo know, yeah, you're right. He didn't uh, where he came from and all of that. It's what are you going to say? The guy was a was a lifelong Bruin. Uh, he was a yo know, he was a legend. But at the same time, whatever they were going to do, the Bruins were the Bruins were an organization that wasn't going to go anywhere. They weren't going to do it. Everybody knew they weren't going to do it, and. Uh, yeah, you know, so so it was just nice to be able to, I guess, have him latch on to us, and he be, he was one of those guys who also was uh, he brought a lot to the locker room. It's almost a cliche in a way of how guys just you know are good in the room, blah blah blah. Apparently, like right before the last you know the the uh, last game, that game you know the final game of that uh, cup run, uh, he said, "Look, you know, uh, this is probably my last shot." So let's just let's just go out there and do our do the damnedest we can kind of thing. Gave a little little speech and you know they rallied and they did it. Um, it was it was just a lot of fun and and of course you know it's not like we have like Colorado has a ton of um, hockey history. You know they were, they, they, nobody paid attention to the Nordiques until they were here, and uh, then it's like oh who was that? There I know a couple of Avs fans that were Nordiques fans. They're few and far between. So, uh, I, it was, it was just absolutely a good time. And, uh, you know, what, and also of course, a little bit nerve wracking. You're trying, you know, you want to see what happens with these guys. Um, it's an older guy that, you know, he's, he's in that kind of era when people are still hanging off people's backs. Uh, you know, you're dragging three guys on your back end as you're, uh, as you're breaking for the line and they're all hooking you and holding you and everything. Peter Forsberg being out. It it really didn't seem like it was going to be a huge possibility, and then it, and then to watch it all work out, and of course that uh, great Gary Thorne call at the very end when he hoists the cup, just right. a, uh, oh, it's such a such a fun classic moment. No, it is, it is, and uh, I'll admit, even as, as someone who is still bitter about the Blues losing uh, in Game Five, witnessing that, and, and <laughs> I was I was bitter for a long time. <laughs> you know, and you but were mentioning witnessing... the goaltending for the Blues of that series. Uh, you know, that doesn't, that's not that looking at it now, like Roman Turek and Johnson, those aren't bad, you know, those aren't bad goalies. Maybe at the time, I mean, Johnson was still coming up, uh, but like he, he, he turned, that's a guy who like, he had a pretty good career overall for, yeah, he for turned out who, the one. yeah. and, uh, Turek had a great career. He was, you know, he was really well known. Yeah. You, I don't know. I, I understand that it was maybe a weaker point, but boy, man, that was, that's not a bad tandem. I think it was just a matter of, you know, they, they would make big saves, but it was always, it always just seemed like the ones that they should be stopping or the ones that were going in. Mm. And, and I think blues fans point to the 2000 series against the San Jose sharks when, um, I mean, just every weird bounce, every weird mm. possible type 
strange goal went in past him. I mean, it was Mark Bergman literally threw the puck behind him. Uh, <laughs> there was one that it literally just bounced right in front of him, went right over his shoulder. I mean, it, mm-hmm. every weird goal you could imagine went in in that series. And I think you kind of saw that a little bit in the Colorado series because uh, the Blues had to play that year. They had to play San Jose again, and then they played Dallas. And he played great against both those teams. I think he had one or two rough games against San Jose, but mm-hmm. he shut Dallas down. And it was, this guy's the real deal. And then, you know, you, you have a game like, uh, uh, there's an infamous game four in that series, three goals in 78 seconds in the first period. Blues go down 3 nothing. That's when they replaced him with Brent Johnson. Brent Johnson comes in. Uh, Turk comes back in to finish the game later, but ends up losing it in overtime. Um, but yeah, that it was just this kind of like, okay, he's going to make these these miraculous saves, these crazy jump in the air glove save. Uh, but you know, the ones that are shot right at his feet, they're just going to go right past him. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the kind of thing I think that infuriated Blues fans. Yeah. Um, but man, you but, had a pretty good defense. I mean, that was that was a, that was a pretty decent defense there. And I think that's what. The, the the whole franchise thought was, mm-hmm. you know, you've got Pronger, you got McKinnis, and then, you know, even rookies like Salvador and, and Havanov on that team. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of just solid defense that it was like, okay, they're good enough to where they're not going to allow crazy shots to go through. And it was just, you know, Turek might face 22 shots, but somehow three or four are getting past him, yeah. you know, and that, that was the thing that was frustrating, but yeah, that defense. I mean, I, I, I still talk to people who say, "Man, I hated Chris Pronger. I hated <laughs> Al McKinnis. Like they were so good." Yeah, and and, and, uh, and both heavy hitters. Oh, heavy yeah. Hitters. yeah. Oh man, Pronger, you do not mess with that guy. No, that was uh, that. That's the interesting matchup for me. Is like the the Pronger with the big hits and uh, Rob Blake with that hip check. You know, yes. those those are two those are two guys, one on each side that could that could lay the body. And two monsters, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, just guys that they took up so much ice that you just, there's no way to work around them. I mean, all you could hope to do was to chip the puck in and go around them. But at the same time, they're both great skating defensemen, too. Oh, and Pronger was gigantic. He's got that wingspan, man. If you're going to, you're going to have a hard time getting around that guy. Yep. Yeah. And that, that was an era, like you mentioned, where, you know, you try to chip the puck past the defenseman, he could still level you as you skate in. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter what you do. You're still going to get hit. Chris Pronger is going to make you pay for coming in the defensive zone. So, yeah. um, no, it was uh, that. I mean, those and, and that's why I love that series. I mean, I know that, uh, again, the Blues lose that one in five games and uh, the Avalanche kind of looked like they were in control for a lot of it. But um, that was just there was they were two very evenly matched teams. I thought I thought the Avalanche maybe had a little bit more finesse up front, but the mm-hmm. Blues had some grit with Kachuk and and uh, Dallas Drake and guys like that on their top lines. And then, as you said, the the defensive matchups of Bork and Blake and Pronger and McKinnis. I mean, just some great stuff. I mean, I think the, 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 the thing that put Colorado over the top was, again, I know we mentioned the goaltending. Mm. No one's going to match up to Patrick Waugh. I think that was, the, that was the biggest reason the Avalanche were able to slide by the Blues because they had the guy that could still, even behind this great defense, that could stop every single shot that came his way. Well, and then you look at the uh, look at the final they played against the Devils and Marty Brodeur. And if there's the goalie that everybody thinks is going to match up against Wah, it's going to be Brodeur. The constant debate of who was better, and they uh, that that kind of it 
it's hard to say they approved out because it did go seven games and it, the final was three to one and it took uh Sackick and two Tangay goals to, to win it. So yeah, it's, you're right. It's uh, it, you're going to look at Patrick Wine. you know, the guy made some, the guy made some terrible errors in his career. Of course, there's the old <laughs> statue of Liberty goal that people love to, <laughs> the Red Wings fans love to bring up. And it's like, Yep, that's a that's a good lesson in hubris right there. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> I don't know what you do in show notes, but you can link to that anytime you want. And, and that, that video, oh, it's just the worst. It's, it's a great. Hilarious. Oh, it's a it's a great video to watch. Oh, and, and, and when he turn when the puck goes in, he shows off the puck. It goes in, and he just knows right away what he did. Yep. Yeah. Now, oops. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, something I wanted to bring up with you, James, you, uh, you'd mentioned to me off air that, uh, you actually showed up in St. Louis, uh, you were on tour <laughs> with, uh, your, your job and you'd stopped in St. Louis in 2003 and we're at the training camp. And, uh, that happened to be the year the blues used, I think it was, uh, what, 28 goalies all year. <laughs> like it. it was insane. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, and, and it's funny cause the one that we all thought was going to be kind of the guy that maybe was going to be the one that was move on and do well was uh, Curtis Sanford. And uh, no, yep. no, didn't really happen. Uh, yeah. You get the blues used seven goalies that year. And it was, it was insane. It was, we were watching and throughout the season, we just keep checking back in. And why is there another goalie? Why is there another goalie? It just yep. seemed crazy. They just couldn't figure it out. Yeah. For those uh, wondering in the names and this, take this to your next trivia night. Brent Johnson, Fred Brathwaite, Curtis Sanford, Chris Osgood, who was acquired mid-year, uh, Reinhard Divas, Cody Rutkowski, and yes, Tom Barrasso played in six <laughs> games for the Blues. A big one and one and four as a St. Louis Blues goalie. Okay. Uh, yeah, that was an interesting year. So you you uh, you said you were in town for for training camps. I mean, mm-hmm. you witnessed uh, there was uh, that was still the Blues still had Demetra McKinnis. I believe that was the year Chris Pronger was injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he didn't, he didn't play, I think the entire season, but, uh, you know, Doug Waite, Scott Mellonby, Keith Kachuk, um, as an avalanche fan witnessing the the kind of offense, the blues are starting to put together there and, and, uh, maybe some young guys, uh, coming in that, uh, could, could make some noise too. Like, uh, Justin Papineau was a guy that I think blues fans are excited about. Peter Sena, uh, came in and played later that year. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, actually scored against the avalanche in his first game. <laughs> I remember that. Um, yeah. So, you know, looking at that as an avalanche fan, I'm sure you probably saw that offense and thought, Oh boy, look out for the St. Louis blues. Oh yeah. I mean, they look, they look great in camp. Um, it's, it was, it was kind of difficult cause you know, we're getting into, we're there, we're watching and we're kind of like, well, this is, you know, this is fun. And we still kind of had, yeah, there's the rivalry and stuff like that. But when you're sitting in the stands, even for a training camp like that, unless it's like a team that you absolutely despise still kind of pulling for people a bit, you know, they, and so it was, it was fun to be able to watch and just like really keep tabs on quite a bit. Um, You know, the blues though, are just one of those teams where uh, they, they would load up and then just something wouldn't go their way for some reason. And uh, (laughs) you know, the, around that time was when uh, the uh, blue jackets, when they started kind of getting their crap together a bit and they had uh, some good, you know, they had they had some good teams. They had some good players going on. I was, it was the era where, like, they had uh, 
that uh, Commodore was, I remember my Commodore was playing for them. And you just kind of thought, okay, maybe, you know, maybe something's going to happen here. This looks like it could be the team. And the Blues year after year kind of had that where you just thought, man, this, this, this could be, this could be the thing that gels and just something wouldn't happen. You're just always wondering what, why, what, why? Yep. Oh yeah. yeah you're, you're preaching to the choir. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's something that we've always said, you know, you look at, uh, you know, every team you can look at, uh, especially in that early 2000s, late 90s, where it was just like, that's the team. You know, you talk about mm-hmm. the team that had Gretzky and Hull, but, um, you know, Grant Fuhr got hurt. So all of a sudden they didn't have the starting goalie that they wanted. Um, you know, then then early 2000s, it was, again, maybe your goaltending wasn't there. Maybe your scoring depth, there was no toughness in 2000. 2003, your scoring depth was a little bit low. But yeah, it just always seemed like there was something. And um and I'm sure that uh with with maybe recent Avalanche teams you might be able to relate a little bit, but uh yeah, it's always been frustrating. So up until 2019, there was always something you could put your finger on and say, "Was that it? Was that mm-hmm. what what made this team not gel? Was that what and and uh and it's it's a frustrating thing as a team that never won a cup, but uh again, I think now we can look back and kind of smile a little bit more than we used to. <laughs> Well, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the about the cup, you know, this this recent win because you know, you're talking about those things that like, okay, was this the thing? Was that the thing? And everybody keeps pointing out like, what is what is the thing that everybody's going to take away from this team that uh, you know, from this Blues team? What is, a couple of years ago it was get some really high-priced stars, you know, that that nobody can stop, and that was the Chicago model. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and what and play uh play really heavy with a with a very fast goalie and that was the LA model and they won two cups that way. Um you know same deal with uh Pittsburgh in a way, you know, but get um you know get yourself a Crosby a Malkin and uh and a star goalie and let him go to town. And what is what is the new model? What had the same thing that worked with for the Blues is what worked for the Vegas Golden Knights their first year. Roll four lines, keep the pressure on. Uh you don't necessarily need big stars. You need, you need to be able to play again, play all four lines all the time. Yep. That's a, uh, that's, and, and who would have thought like, I mean, that, that wasn't the model that long ago. It used to, it was, you know, keep your fourth line cheap and, and uh, hard hitting, uh, keep your, you know, your third line, just, just effective enough to, to check against the other team and let your first two, t- two lines score. Now it's like you could win a cup with, four second lines and yeah. that's kind of the where the blues you know they're where they were coming from you know, who who was the first line who could tell <laughs> yeah right you know so you got you get all these uh teams with a first line then uh, a very obvious first line what do you do against that you know that's that's great but what what line are you throwing at them well whichever one's effective you know and that that whole next line up mentality they didn't yeah, the blues didn't have that before and not many not many teams built their teams that way before no and it's interesting i mean we talk all the time about how this is you know it's a copycat league you look at the when the the oh, penguins yeah. won the cup uh the, their last two cups it was okay speed rules in the nhl gotta have speed and so every team and i remember I, and I, I referenced this a couple times that there was a game the blues played the blackhawks um early in the season when the blues were struggling and eddie olchek uh went on a rant about how slow the blues are and how shocking it is and how they're they're not going to be as good as people thought because 
they're not quick enough. And <laughs> I think at the time, everyone agreed with them because it was, mm-hmm. yeah, they need speed. They don't have it. And that's how this game's built. But then Craig Berube came in, brought in his system. You mentioned uh, rolling four lines, which is important, but it's it's four checking. It's it's making defensemen pay for trying to carry the puck up. Mm-hmm. And it's it's uh, it's it's engaging in the neutral zone and smothering and not in kind of that L.A. Kings mentality of their cup wins of just don't let them control the puck in the offensive zone. Right. And, and, um, and, and a lot of it for the blues, as I said, was they had big guys, they had, you know, they had the, the, the Pat Maroons, they had the, even the, the Ivan Barbashevs of guys that you try to bring the puck out of the zone and they're going to hit you. They're mm-hmm. going to make you pay for even trying to exit the zone. So that, and, and, and that when the blues started to, to get kind of, beat up in some of those games like uh, I think game three against the Bruins there was another one I think it was game one against the Sharks um I think it was it was because they weren't playing that game they were they were kind of laying back they were kind of I don't know if it was uh exhaustion or what but when they got back to that type of game that was when they started winning and started dominating and and I think again I think you're gonna see that with a lot of teams now I think uh the Avalanche I mean We'll we'll go ahead and get into this a little bit. That uh, you know they've made a couple changes this summer. One of them being Nazem Kadri, a, a guy who's kind of known for mm-hmm. let's face it, kind of being a dick on the oh, ice. Yeah. And um, <laughs> and you got to think that maybe part of that is the Blues saw or or uh, the Avalanche saw. Okay, the Blues have these guys that are that are punishing people for en- for exiting the zone. Right. Maybe we need to get a guy like that. Well, what's who's the top paid player on the on the Blues? Uh, it should be, I believe it's, yeah, it's Ryan O'Reilly, Ryan O'Reilly. And, uh, he's making what, like eight, something like that. I think it's 7.5, but let me check on that. Okay. And, uh, I'm curious, like who the top three, let's just, let's just do top three. Tarasenko, O'Reilly and Petrangelo, I believe. None of those guys are probably making over eight, you know, uh, maybe I know that. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and your goalie is uh four now, right? 4.2, 4.4, 4.4. <clears throat> It's that's pretty reasonable. Um, who had the market for players right now? Look at what Panarin got. How are you going to build a fourth line that is going to play? Be you know have reasonable talent with what Panarin is pulling down, plus a few other guys, uh, you know uh, uh, Truba and the like. There's no way. Uh, you know, the Avalanche, the top paid player, I think right now is McKinnon and he is an absolute bargain at 6.3 million. Yeah, it's, that's insane. It's, it is absolutely insane. And the guy's going to get paid. They have so much cap space right now that they could rent it out. It is ridiculous. <laughs> if you, there's, but there's no way that, you know, when you have a couple of, uh, like, look at, look at the Minnesota wild. They've got a couple of guys that they paid for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they paid them. They paid him a lot of money at the time, and maybe they would have been worth it for like four or five years, but now they're still getting paid that, and they got huge deals. It was like 10 or 11, 12 years, something like that. There's no way they can build a fourth line like that. There's no way that they can keep that kind of thing going. They're going to be relying on inexpensive depth that they hope that they can build. That's not a great, that that's not the formula that, that got the Blues where they got. That's not no. the formula that got the Vegas Golden Knights where they got. And the Vegas Golden Knights, they're having to shed salary because they brought in some stars. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, there's there's a little bit of that uh, 
the Avalanche could have gotten the uh, first the first overall pick this year uh, because they had the Senators' uh, uh, first round draft pick. And I'm glad course, they didn't. <laughs> I, and you know what? As I even said this on our podcast, I'm glad they didn't either because in three years that guy's going to get paid. Whoever mm-hmm. uh, Jack Hughes it was, he's mm-hmm. going to get paid, and that's going to coincide with Landis Cogney to get paid with uh, with. Uh, uh, McKinnon needing to get paid with a few other guys needing to get paid, you know, be careful with you, what you wish for. So those, yeah. those, those, like, I've got three stars right now. I've got two really great hot stars right now. That's not working in Edmonton. That's not no. working in, uh, in Chicago anymore. That's no. I, is it going to work for the Rangers when they really need a rebuild and maybe they're kickstarting that rebuild a little, that's not going to work. So yeah. Yeah, I, I think the uh, I, I think that model for the Blues is kind of interesting where where people are going to go. The market is going in one place where they've got those free agents. They're paying really high. And then the model for winning might be going in a different place. Yeah, well, uh, to, just for sanity's sake, because I know there's probably people listening right now mm-hmm. yelling at me for not knowing exact numbers. Uh, oh. Ryan O'Reilly and Vladimir Tarasenko both make 7.5 per year. And then uh, Petrangelo is at 6.5. But this is his last year, so next year yeah. I imagine he will be getting paid. Right. And uh, yeah. Oh, and you know, also the Blues model. The problem is that uh, they spent enough that they are edging out uh, Patrick Maroon. You know, yeah. which a lot of people are like. Hey, that guy was the hero. Blah blah blah. Maybe you know he's he's going to age out. He's an older guy, but you know, if they don't have room for him, where he's he's going to take a hometown discount anyways. That's. That, that you might be spending a bit much on on some stuff hard to say and and if anybody is complaining about you not knowing somebody's salary i would point out that even the guys who are like with tsn and like site cap friendly as their yep. source for what the salary numbers are they're like oh per cap friendly you're you're like the guys and you don't know so yeah you know, it should be it should be I, like I think you know, it's okay per my conversation <laughs> per my conversation with Joe Sackick is what they should be saying. <laughs> um, no, I, and it's uh, it, it's definitely interesting. And, and you mentioned the the uh, the way that the, the winning teams have operated. It's funny because if you know a year ago, if you would have said, you know, what do you think uh, the job of of the Blues GM is, it, we'd say, well, he's probably going to be fired this year. I mean, mm. he I mean he had just got an extension, but I mean the the Alexander Steen contract, people were complaining up and down about that contract because, mm-hmm. and I will say it's not a great contract, but at the same time, it was signed at a time when the guy was, was an elite player still for the blues. And, and um, you know, it was okay. Yeah. He's going to taper off as the contract goes along, but he did kind of hit more of a, a wall a little sooner rather than later. But mm. you mentioned the fourth line, they can still roll him out there. And I think that's where his sweet spot is. Now you put him out there with guys who really could play in a in a in a in a uh, in a situation that if it's necessary in a second line role like Pat Maroon, like Ivan Barbashev, and mm-hmm. he's been playing out there on the fourth line, and they're a fantastic fourth line. I mean, every time they're out there, like you know, how many fourth lines in the NHL do do, do, do teams put out, and the fans say, "Oh boy, here we go," you know, yeah. "Oh geez," you know, and. But but like you said, you can roll all four lines on the on the blues and you're never going to be concerned with who's out there because it's it's four guys that are three guys that know how to keep the puck in the zone, defensively responsible 
and do everything that, that's asked of them in their 30, 45 seconds on the ice. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. It, it's interesting to see. And and I was kind of saying this on July 1st when we saw Artemi Panarin get signed, when we saw Sergei Bobrovsky sign for $10 million. $10 it, million. It, Yeah, $10 million for a starting yeah. goalie when a rookie who was making under a million just won the Stanley Cup. You know, I mean, yeah. it's 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 crazy. And and I know obviously that's a it's an anomaly that that never happens. Him and Matt Murray are kind of in a exclusive club with a few other guys, but you know, at the same time it's like you see these teams win in that way and these these teams that still continue to just shell out money to these superstar players and even really guys that you know, might or might be comparable to a Jaden Schwartz or a Vladimir Tarasenko, but mm-hmm. they're still making ten million as opposed to seven or, or six point five. Oh yeah, and you know what? What was it that NBC was talking about all the time with the Bruins? Also, fourth line, fourth line, effective fourth yep. line. Yeah, you know, it's it's the way to go. Um, yep. Oh yeah, we can add uh, Cam Ward. You know, to that with uh, you know he was the rookie goalie. Uh, you know he flamed he flamed out pretty hard after that, but you yeah, know, he did. One at one a cup as a rookie goalie. You just, you know, you never know. And who was it? Uh, there was somebody was uh, talking about how, um, who just, oh, who's the goalie that just got signed for, oh, it was Vasilevsky, uh, yeah. down in Tampa. And he got like eight years for 9.5 per. And the, uh, the writer for the Tampa Bay Tribune, I think it was, was saying how, you know, why this much, you know, go cheap on the goalie. You can go cheap on the goalie. And I'm just thinking, you never know. You, you yeah. roll the dice, you take your chances. There was a time when uh, Andrew Raycroft was supposed to be the second coming. You know? <laughs> you, you never know. Did he spend yeah. time in Colorado? Uh, he did. He he was uh, he was here for, I think he was here for like a season or a season and a half. Yeah, they, they just kept going through backup goalies. They they had, um, I, can, I, can, I, can I just go on for just oh, a moment please, about go the ahead. goalies? Go so ahead. the Avs get uh, Jose Teodoro. Right, they trade uh, David Abisher, who was uh, was backup for a while for right. Jose Teodor, and and you know it was kind of that maybe redemption, you know, hard to say, but they bring him in as the first guy, as the number one guy. Right. They had a guy in their system named Peter Budai, and uh, basically Teodor flamed out for a season, for like a last half of the season, and Budai carried the team on his back for a while. And as soon as they went back to, and as soon as the next season started, they go right back to Teodor. Budai's career kind of went down because, you know, now he was the guy for a bit. He worked hard and no, they had to go with the money. And there's the one thing that I really get tired about with the uh, cap, with the cap system is you're going to play the money. You're not going to play the guy. And, you know, if you have a hot hand, well, that's nice and all, but I'm paying that guy 3 million more dollars than I'm paying you. So he plays because if he doesn't play, then I'm going to get fired. Yep. It's a, it's a, some days it was, you know, some days, Hey, it works out. And some days it's a crummy system and you just basically went through it with, uh, you know, with Bennington, yep. the guy, the guy who shouldn't have been the guy turned out to be the guy. You just never know. Yeah. And it's funny you, you, you mentioned that. Cause that is kind of, it's funny. Cause you know, all year long when, uh, when the Bennington took over, there was still blues fans saying, and I was one of them. I just hope that he doesn't have one bad game and then Jake Allen has one really good game because then yeah. it's Jake Allen's crease again. And and people say, oh, no, 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 they're still, they're still going to go back to Bennington. 
No, they won't because no. they're paying Jake Allen over mm-hmm. $4 million to sit on the bench. Yeah. And you don't think the owner is going to say, get that guy out there if you can, because maybe we can move him in, in, over the summer if you play him now. You know, right. if, if you keep him on the bench, we're paying a guy to sit on the bench for another three years. Mm-hmm. And, and that was always the concern. So I think obviously now it's it's a little different because, you know, it, once the playoffs started, it was Bennington's crease to lose. But I mean, even in like March, there was still times where Bennington would give up a weak goal or a little a little softer goal. And and I I'd kind of cringe and say, oh, God, don't hold that against him. Please don't 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 go back to Jake. And, you know, nothing against yeah. Jake. It's just, you know, that's that's like you said, that's the mentality of the salary cap era is you've mm-hmm. got to pay the you got to play the guys that you're paying and uh it's it's i mean even even for a head coach who's who's not managing the money he knows that the gm oh, wants yeah. the guy he's paying to play mm-hmm. absolutely it's yep. uh have you seen the movie moneyball i have yes you have so uh you know the you know about how the manager kept playing the guys that he wanted to and the gm was building a completely different team and uh had to trade away the guys that were getting in the way of the team he was trying to build. Yep. And it's surprising how a coach and a man and a GM aren't necessarily going to be on the same page like that so much. And you just kind of wonder how does that actually work? I, I mean, yeah. like I, I get it in like my job or, you know, a general job, but like there's two guys and maybe a third, if you consider the owner, because he's, he's got the money, but you got a guy building a team for a guy who's who's coaching the team and you just kind of wonder how how are you guys not always on the same page like that you know yeah i think it i think it goes to show whenever there's a, a gm that'll that'll hire a coach you think of like mm-hmm. lou lamorello mm-hmm. who will hire a coach and then in the same year fire him and i know that doesn't happen yeah. as much as it used to but it's because of that it has to be because it's yeah. okay this guy's clearly not playing the team that i built uh, the way that I would play them. And, and, and right. again, Lamorello is a great example because he would literally just say, okay, I'll just coach the rest of the year. You know, and it, it was yeah. just, that's exactly how a about, lot of these GMs are. I was actually thinking about Quenville a little bit and uh, Stan Bowman because, you know, Quenville was very successful for a while, but then, you know, the, the attrition and the, uh, the, you know, having to trade away the money. And eventually they're kind of building a team that doesn't work for Quenville's style. And, they're they're going from one that did to one that doesn't, and you're just kind of sitting there going, "How are you two not really on the same page? Uh, how does everybody else see that you're not on the same page, but you guys?" Yeah, it's a weird. It's which is which is a weird thing, you know. We're all sitting back and we're the armchair, co- you know, coaches and GMs, and going, "Something's not working here." Don't you guys see that? Uh, yeah, maybe you maybe figure, they maybe, do. I mean, you know. But, you got to figure that's maybe the conversation right now in Minnesota with Paul Fenton getting fired. Oh man, yeah, you got to think that uh, Bruce Boudreau is wondering, hmm, what's going to happen with me next? You know, yep. how how much leash do you give him? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of surprising to see a coach outlast. Uh, well, now it's going to be three his third GM since he's been there. Oh, so that's uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it wow. doesn't happen often. Uh well, so we kind of get off track, which is great. Hey, I love I'm, that. Yeah. Um, I love it. I we, were we going to talk about uh, were we going to talk about Eric Johnson? Yeah, let's okay. talk about Eric Johnson. Well, I, I mean, I kind of want to talk about him because also because uh, Kevin Shattenkirk and the news today as we recorded this is that uh, Shattenkirk got bought out by yeah. the Rangers. 
yep. two years left on his contract, a little over six million a year. And uh, it's it's not looking good for him. Uh, no, it's, it's too a, bad. It's, it's a shame, and I'm sure that that you maybe have the the same feelings I do about him as a, as a former player for our teams. But um, I was a big Shattenkirk fan. I, I love mm-hmm. the way he played. I thought he fit the Blues' system great when they made that trade. I was all for it. I loved Shattenkirk's game as a rookie mm-hmm. uh, when he was in Colorado, and then again, obviously when he was in St. Louis. I thought that's a perfect signing for the Rangers. It was just a weird, I mean, I think you'll agree, just a weird timing for them when they made that signing. Mm-hmm. I think they still had the thoughts that they were the Stanley Cup uh, maybe favorites there in the Metropolitan. That quickly changed. Uh, they they went through a quick little rebuild there. Now they're going younger. As you mentioned, they've got Panarin mm-hmm. now, and, and you're starting to see a little bit of a, a culture change there, and yeah. now they're getting rid of Shattenkirk. So it's it's... Well, it's it's unfortunate for him, but I'm I mean, hey, for one thing, oh, it's wildly gonna, unfortunate for him. I mean, he it's a money issue, but also he I I didn't realize they'd hurt his ACL so bad in a yeah. training camp the previous year and played on it for half a season. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my god, just shut it down. Why do people do that? Just it's an ACL. You can't you can't out you can't will an ACL to heal itself. You just deal. Go have it dealt with and continue your career. But, You're not um, just going to wake up and, oh, hey, it feels better today. Yeah, exactly. That's not how it works. No. Um, the thing with the, I didn't mind Shattenkirk going only because um, he, Shattenkirk, when he came in, he very quickly went into the avalanche system. He wasn't, he, he was, uh, I believe he was just, he was a tryout uh, and then uh, was in the minors very briefly. You know how it is, uh, how they always say, like, you know, from the goal crease out, it takes longer in the minors to, to or or longer to get into your game. Um, right. When he was with the Avalanche, he was always playing that college game. He wasn't mm-hmm. playing an NHL game. NHL game, you have to be able to lay the body on somebody, too. And, and they, even as a small guy, you don't necessarily have to knock somebody on their keister. You just have to, you know, separate them from the puck or get in there a little bit. And uh, I, I'm not saying he was soft. I'm saying he was just so used to the college system and was so successful there that it didn't necessarily start translating into his NHL game. Had he been in the minors a little bit longer, that that transition might have happened. But you step in and into the NHL and you bring the tools with you that you have. They're not they're that, not teaching you brand new stuff all the time. I think that's a fair analysis of his game, even in St. Louis. I think, um, you know, he he came in in the Hitchcock era and uh, um, Hitchcock was uh, he coached kind of a okay defense is part of the offense kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. and you could kind of hide his defensive woes because the Blues had so many good defensive defensemen Mm. they could pair him with. Um, You know, he he often played on the second pairing. He played with guys like Jordan Leopold. Uh, played a little bit with guys like Jay Bobeister, who was a uh, uh, very solid in his first couple of years here in St. Louis, and and um, I think it was easy to kind of hide the the defensive mistakes he would make. I mean, he uh, he was quick, he was great with the puck, and oh, I, yeah. I think he still is. But yeah, there's there's a lot to be left to be desired for his defensive awareness, his defensive ability. Um, there was times that. Uh, you wouldn't even see him on the penalty kill for 10, 15, 20 games in a row just because he's he was not – I mean, he could get sticks in lanes, but that was about it. As you said, no physicality, uh, didn't lean on guys a whole lot, kind of shot away from uh, uh, corner play. 
So I, I think that's a fair assessment to say yeah. that he played a very college game. Well, um, he's, and he's going to be playing on your power play. You know, he's going right. to quarterback your power play. That's great. There's yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. And using him in those in those places, absolutely. Uh, that I think a lot of that was why there was questions about why did he get that much money from the Rangers? You know, that sort of right. thing. Um, yep. but he was, you know, you, you, you dance in the market that you have and he was the top defenseman in, in that uh, year. So yep. that's, he, he came, he, it was the right time for him. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that, uh, also the fact that he made it very well known, he wanted to play in his home, his, for his home team. So, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Rangers were able to lock him up pretty easily, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, I think it's, it, it's unfortunate for him. I know this was kind of like his his uh his dream to play for the rangers but hey he's still gonna land on his feet somewhere and yeah. um I'm, I'm happy for him but i want to talk to you about eric johnson um oh, okay that's an interesting character for blues fans because oh, obviously yeah. he was the one that came out of the lockout as you know the, the blues uh the blues finished last there in 2005 2006 he ends up being the number one pick Mm-hmm. stays in college for a year, which uh, pissed a lot of Blues fans off. But like, hey, like you said, <laughs> defenseman, give him time to flourish before he comes into the NHL. Um, and really, like, his first, his rookie year, he was fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. Then he had an injury. Uh, everyone knows the golf about cart. the golf cart. Yep, yep. golf cart. Um, mm-hmm. And then he uh, just kind of never really became, and, and I think it was unfair to him to a certain extent. I think people expected him to be, a Chris Pronger type player. Mm. And that's just not, unfortunately who he is. Um, so they ended up obviously moving him in 2011 uh, in, in the, the trade that brought Kevin Shattenkirk and Chris Stewart to St. Louis. Mm-hmm. I think, and, and again, you know, you, you look at that trade and I think right away and, you know, you think of Peter Stastny's comments about how this <laughs> set the, the avalanche back. How it was a great trade for the blues. Um, but I think at first there was a lot of people who said that this was a one-sided trade right away that oh blues won that one hands down mm-hmm. over the years. I think that has, and I'm not saying that, that it's, it's been a hundred percent and a win for the avalanche, but Eric Johnson, I think has turned out to be a pretty good defenseman for you guys. Maybe not yeah. again, maybe not a Chris Pronger, Al McKinnis, Rob Blake type, but very solid and steady back there on mm-hmm. the avalanche blue line. He's um, he he's, he's talented enough and he's mean enough for the current NHL. You yeah. know, Chris Pronger today, Chris Pronger would be suspended, you know, more times <laughs> than Nazem Kadri has been, uh, <laughs> you know, he would, Chris Pronger would basically be the Brad Marchand of uh, today's NHL as defenseman, you know? So you gotta, you gotta, I'm looking at where they are now. I mean, yeah, you can say, uh, you know, Chris Stewart. Oh, he's playing over. You know, he played a. I think last year he played in the elite league in Britain. Uh, you know, who knows? <laughs> uh, you're, you you mentioned uh, Ty Ratty. Uh, he's playing for um, uh, Locomotive. Uh, you know, Shannon Kirk obviously moved on. Um, C, uh, Duncan Siemens moved on. Uh, Jake McClement obviously moved on. So the only one left really is, uh, is, is, uh, Johnson. Does that mean that the abs won overall? I don't know. I mean, I'm, I look at a lot of the, uh, the trades for like with, um, uh, the avalanche and the capitals and generally all of those trades with the capitals have been win-wins. 
almost every single one, both teams have gotten exactly what they needed out of it. Um, you know, the, the, the caps needed a couple of high picks Avs gave them to him for a starting goalie, which they, which the Avs needed this, this one, you know, I think, I think both teams kind of got what they needed. Yeah. Uh, Chattenkirk was, was becoming expendable. You know, there was, there's uh Barry was around, you know, and, and they needed a little more veteran presence and uh, they were having the avalanche really didn't know what they wanted to be uh, defensively. There was a, there was a year where they had like four or five, just heavy hitter goon guy type guys. And the next year they get rid of all of them and go at with absolute speed on defense. And, there was a, there was a lot of question mark. They needed stability. If there was a, if there was anything about Johnson that isn't stable, it's the injury side of things, but you, you can't, there's only so much you can blame that on him. You know? Uh, yeah. A golf cart <laughs> incident is a little, it's, that's, that's pretty damn frustrating. Stay away from those big guys. But other than right. that, there's, you know, there's only so much that you can do. Right. No, and I agree. And it, and I it is a little unfair. I think a lot of people, you know, they look back at that trade. Okay, who won? You know, it, nine. Well, everybody it was, it was everybody eight, wants to win a trade. You know, they think win, say, win, win. But the thing is, years ago, it's you can't. It's it's hard to. I mean, because yeah, you look at it, you can say, okay, yeah, the only player left is Eric Johnson, still playing well. But then again, the Blues turned Kevin Shattenkirk into Zach Sanford, and the Blues right. went on to win a cup. Well, so and the, the thing with, uh, you, know, it's, you yeah. can make a case for anything. Oh, absolutely. The biggest, the biggest trade in avalanche history was the Eric Lindros trade and the, yes. the implications from the Eric Lindros trade only ended like two years ago yep. uh, from all the people that were traded in and out and all that. And finally retiring out two years ago was the end of the, the implications of that trade. You just never know. But the other yeah. thing is that like, if you, if the blues got what they wanted, and the Avalanche got what they wanted, and both sides were happy. That just leads to more trades down the down the line. Those are that that kind of long term building is something that happens. It it seems like it wouldn't happen all that often in the NHL because of the way that GMs move in and out. But look at how many GMs have been in the in the league for years and years and years. If you have a good relationship with Lou Lamorello, that's you know that might be saying something. That's that's yeah. a lot of history there. And and somebody that you can call up on the phone and say, "Hey, I got this, and I need this. What you know? Are you are you game? And you know what you're getting on the other end. You're not maybe they're looking for a win, but they may be looking for a win win. That's always right. a good thing in a trade. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know how much about it. You know, winning a trade, how important that is to uh, you know, or one side winning, one side losing is important to an NHL uh, team as it is to like you and I as fans. So. Yeah, no, I I doubt that uh, Doug Armstrong sits a, sits there at night, you know, with his cup of coffee and, and just looks and, oh, man, that trade I made in 2011. I don't know if I made the right decision. <laughs> I don't think it's keeping him up at night. Not so, yeah, anymore. On that. Not, <laughs> yeah, not anymore for sure. <laughs> um, uh, well, there's one more thing I definitely want to touch on uh, before we wrap up here. Uh, the Blues kind of. Blues fans, kind, you know, they've always kind of been like, eh, the Avalanche are kind of a rival. Last year, I think that was kicked up a notch, uh, at least in St. Louis. I don't know how Colorado feels, but that was that last game. It was basically a one-game playoff, mm-hmm. April 7th, 2018. Avalanche ended up winning that game 5-2, to two, uh, knocked the Blues out of the playoffs. Avalanche go in to play the Predators. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that was an interesting game. We we could break that down for hours, but <laughs> there's one thing that I want to talk to you about, and it's something mm-hmm. that I absolutely lost my shit over when it happened. The uh, the infamous no offsides. Right. Uh, the the play. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. If mm-hmm. if you're a Blues fan, I'm sure Avalanche fans remember it too. Uh, that was a long, long review, and there's a picture, and I shared it with you, yep. and I've showed it many times with many people. It looks, you look at the picture, you see white between the, the puck and the blue line, but the NHL ruled that basically uh, the pixelation, the graininess mm-hmm. of the image, y- you can't determine exactly. Right. What's your take on it? Uh, well, I've got two takes on it. One, it happened. What are you going to do? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my other take is that... Um, you know, if I, if I, uh, the hot take is come on NHL, get better video cameras because yes. the avalanche got, uh, this basically happened in the playoffs to the avalanche, uh, this, yes. uh, this past season with the yep. sh- versus the sharks who are, you know, I don't know what crystal ball, I don't know what magic wand they had that gave them some freebie every single series, whether it was yep. the hand pass or, you know, the, but the, uh, the NHL, in there with their video cameras right there on the goal line. And you're thinking, great, we have video cameras on the goal line or on the uh, blue line. This should be really easy now. Nope. They, they need better cameras with HD or infrared or whatever, or lasers to figure this out. If they're going to keep, if they're going to keep doing this, if they're going to have to keep going back to, was it offside? Was it onside? You know, the system that they have just, it it isn't adequate for the amount of accuracy that they that they want. It was it offside? Yeah, probably most likely. Yeah. But also it's hard, you know, it's it is hard to tell. If you draw a straight line across that, uh, you know, across that, is the puck actually in there? Are you looking at white or are you look you know, paint or are you looking at snow from that angle? Who knows? You yeah. know. But the the problem the the biggest thing is that a series, a season, all of those things are hardly ever won or lost on one play, on one goal, any of it. You mm. look at all those things that, uh, you know, like look at what happened with uh, Vegas and and the Sharks. Yeah. They lost because of this, because of this bad call. But at the same time, they lost because their power play or their penalty kill couldn't do the job for five minutes. Exactly. They lost because they didn't win enough games previous to that. There's no such thing as that one thing, that one little moment that turns everything around. There's 82 games ahead, or 81 games ahead of that game for a reason. So yeah, well, yeah. and and I, I mean that's something I talked about on, on the Bruins episode of of this series was, mm-hmm. you know, you you look at the uh, the game five, the Tyler Bozak trip, you know, yeah, that was that was brutal for the mm-hmm. Bruins. I'm sure that that was de- as deflating for the players as it was for the fans, but at the same time. There's still game left. You yeah. still have game left in there. Absolutely. And, and there are bad calls, as we talk about, with, with this offside call, with mm-hmm. the, the avalanche offside call in the playoffs against the Sharks. That happens. But there's still time left for, for your team to say, okay, guys, pick it up. Let's just – we got to get through this. And, yeah, yeah and, and it's it, – you know, to, to, to bring that out even further, like you said, in, in a regular season, there's 82 games. You know, the Blues, you know, if you win one more game in November, you win one more game in January, you win one game in overtime. 
we're not even worried about what happened here. Exactly. And so, it, and I always say it, it evens out, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I feel bad for, for like the, the Vegas golden Knights who, what, what happened to them. I felt bad for the avalanche when that happened. But again, at the same time, you have every opportunity to not get yourself in that situation where you can point to the one mistake made by the officials. Absolutely. And, uh, and if you can, it, it, if, if you can point to that one spot and say, that's why we lost. That's probably not the case. You probably yeah. lost because your penalty kill didn't do the right job. Your goalie didn't make the save that needs to be made. Your defenseman didn't clear the puck. There's many or, other things you can point out in a, yeah. in a full game that might have lo- led to a loss. Or that completely elusive thing. I mean, what was, what was the thing that beat Tampa this, this year in the playoffs? They got swept out of the playoffs. How does that happen when you have that many, that, you know, you're that good? What was the thing that killed them? My belief, it was scoring. It was going up as fast as they did against the Blue Jackets and basically having the hubris that said, we pretty much got this in the bag. Yep. And 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 doing that against a team that is very happy to say, okay, we'll play the underdog card. We're going to fight back as hard as we possibly can because nobody believes that we can. And who would have thought that that happened? That, there was. Did you see the uh, NHL awards? Yes. Uh, when the host basically said they set oh. the record for the most wins and then tied the record for the least wins in the playoffs. Yep. Said, that was oh. fantastic. And then they cut <laughs> to the players and the players are just, yeah, that's, that's not, that's not funny yet. It will probably never be funny yet. Yeah. No, it won't be until they win a cup. They can't laugh about that. Yeah. You know oh. what? I mean, on this, you are probably not wrong. Not, not, not in the least. It is most likely offside. But here's the thing. The NHL could fix this problem with a piece of tape. You put whatever video monitor they're on, put a piece of tape right over that blue line you know, as, as close as you can so that you can see whether or not the puck is on this side of the tape or not. You know, it's just that. That is, <laughs> how, that is how, how hard is it on a video monitor with a fixed camera to be able to go, it's right there. Yeah. That's the line. Thank you very much. That is the most annoying thing about this. Like you uh, said mm. originally is that, uh, it, you know, yeah, you want to get mad at the avalanche. You even want to get mad at the officials on the ice, but at the same time, it's, it's get, okay. What are we doing here? If, if mm-hmm. we're going to have review and, and you're still going to get it wrong, mm-hmm. why do we have review? I mean, it's, you gotta get the technology 100% right. If you're going to implement it in the game. And I think blues fans and avalanche fans would agree, especially after this last playoff for the avalanche, you just got to get those calls right if you're going to have the technology being used. Um, what was it? The one with uh, Matt Duchesne like two years ago? Yeah. Where it was, he was like six feet from the line and they couldn't do the review right or something. It was just, oh. uh, and, and I think that might have been what led to the offside yes. challenge. But that is, uh, you know, soccer is getting it so wrong with their VAR system right now. Uh, yep. You know, nobody gets it 100% right. And the right. puck is so small, the game is so fast. The, unless you're doing like 120 frames a second, you're not going to see everything. It's no. just, you know, what are you going to do? I, yeah. I always get frustrated when people get angry at the uh, refs. They, they're, they're just fine with a goalie being screened when the puck goes in. But if there's somebody between the ref and a, and a penalty, they get pissed off because the, the, the ref was screened, but they yeah. don't think of it like uh, in those contexts of, Hey, the ref was screened. What are you going to do? He can't see that. 
But yeah, I mean, yeah. it's funny because you mentioned the hand pass against the Sharks. I mean, that was mm. a I, I saw a, a still where it looks like the, the referee is looking right at mm-hmm. where the I, I'm, I'm drawing a blanket. Who it was it? Was Timo Meyer, I think. I made right, the hand yeah. pass. Um, and, and it looks like he's looking right at him. And, and, mm-hmm. and when I first saw that, I thought, you're looking at the play. What are you doing, yeah. man? But then, but then you look and, and he's behind the net. Jordan Bennington's there. There's a blues defenseman there. The net's mm-hmm. there. He probably can't see anything, you what know, below. The, be- what color that? was his glove? Yeah, what, exactly. You know, if, if it's a black glove, you know, with a black puck and it's going that fast, how are you going to, how are you going to tell? Yeah. Yeah. Did he, exactly. did he, touch it? did he not? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hard to tell. <laughs> Again, the only thing I think that was wrong there. And, and I think the the NHL corrected it this off season is just how can, if you're going to have review, how can you not review that? So yeah, well, they, and, they, and they did they fix saying, that. They kept saying how, Oh yeah, we review every goal to make sure every goal is right. Well, then, then how did that get, you know, I mean, yep. I'm glad that the blues won in a way so that we didn't have another skate in the crease. Because on my old podcast back in the day, I had a I had a Sabres fan, and boy, <laughs> that, that skate in the crease was the thing that uh, that drove him absolutely nuts. And I just kept saying, it wasn't just a skate in the crease; it was all the stuff that happened before that too. Yep, yeah, that's, that's true. That's how you lose a cup. You do it by or a season or a game. You do it. You you know, you do it in your first minute as much as you do in your last. That's true. Oh man, James, we could. I've, we could I've go taken on. up all your time, haven't I? You have, <laughs> and this is great. That's exactly what I wanted. Um, I've had some some really fun guests on here, and and you're definitely uh, you're you're a Hall of Fame candidate, James. Congratulations. Ah, ah, no worries. And we didn't even get to talk about Ryan O'Reilly. That's okay. What's, next time, <laughs> I want to ask you. Okay, what about Ryan O'Reilly? Do you guys hate him in Colorado? You know what? I don't. I I I didn't really appreciate what he did as far as holding out. Um, it set the tone and he did it in a place where uh, that sort of thing wasn't going to be appreciated by, by the team. I don't think any team appreciates it, but I think that some teams probably understand it a little better than others. Um, that was not going to happen with it you know, around here, but um, my, you know, I had to, during the playoffs, I, I kind of had to ask myself, okay, dude, how do you feel about this? You know, like about Ryan O'Reilly, are you good with him? Or are you not? I think it's great that, you know, a, I think it's great that he went and you know was able to do something better. Um, but the other thing is, like, I, all I'm doing is basically taking this guy's personality and or attributing a personality to the guy based on an action that I don't really have a lot of information on. And we do that a lot as as sports fans, anyways. We always look at, well, look at what this guy did, so he's a jerk, or look at what this guy did, and he's a hero, or blah blah blah. We just don't know a lot about it, you know as much as difficult as the Sabres were for him, I'm glad he found a place where things went better for him. I'm glad he got his cup. I didn't, I really wasn't, I did. I was surprised that he got uh con Smythe, but Hey, awesome. You know, good, good for him. I look really forward to the abs knocking him on his keister next time they play against him <laughs> at the same time. You know, you look at, you look at what happened with the abs in that time, the Matt Duchesne, uh, and that all went wrong. Ryan O'Reilly, that all went wrong. These were two guys that were going to be franchise guys. You just you don't know what's going to work and what's not. I I I think it's great for him. Good. Well, I'm glad we we yeah. agree. Then we we <laughs> like Ryan O'Reilly. 
Good, good. <laughs> well, you got him. You better like him. So. Yeah, no, we love him here. He's uh, he's kind of a folk hero now because of uh, of what I mean. Let's be honest here. He was the only blue really that played all season long. Um, you know, it, when he came here and the Blues were struggling to start the year, mm-hmm. it was just oh god, that guy can't get out of a bad hockey market. <laughs> and uh, luckily, he was able to turn it around. And yeah. and I think it's a, a big kudos to him for playing the way he played all year long, even when the blues were terrible. So uh, I think yeah, he, again, look, I think he's going to look great in an Islanders Jersey one day. Oh, well, let it, <laughs> Hey, our, you know what? Our Islanders fan said, uh, he, uh, the, the, the one uh, that's, that that show's going to air before this one. He did say that uh, a lot of blues go to the Island to die. So oh, yeah, we'll see if that oh, happens with Ryan O'Reilly. <laughs> <laughs> James, uh, this was awesome. I really appreciate you coming on and doing this. Um, I want to, uh, of course, man, I want to give you uh, plenty of time here at the end of my, uh, at the end of this show to tell my listeners how they can find you on social media, how they can find your show and how they can interact with you. I am personally, I'm hardly on social media. I mostly focus on my photography thing on social media. If you want, you can follow me on Instagram at James Graylian. Uh, that's he'll, you know, Jeff will put the, uh, my name on there. So, you know, it's hard to spell. Um, you can find our show at avshockeypodcast.com. Uh, a very original name, obviously. Uh, Jay is on Twitter at avs podcast. He's on Facebook at avs podcast. He pretty much is the, uh, driving force of our uh, podcast. He's the guy that keeps me on track and I just sit there and make silly comments every so often. Um, oh, so, so you're the bill of our, of ours. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I get that all the time. Wherever I go, people just say to me, Oh, you're the bill of this place. <laughs> I'm sure Bill loves hearing this. Bill is, he's, he's famous wide and large. Uh, I went to, uh, I was just at, uh, uh, having a sandwich today and they were made my order and they were like, Oh, you're kind of a bill, aren't you? Like, yeah, sorry. Uh, we also uh, have a little, there's a little game that Jay runs for every game called uh, Avs Twitter Psychic, hashtag Avs Twitter Psychic. Guess the first um, the first player to uh, to get a goal for the game, and you get a, a very valuable and expensive retweet. Ooh. Um, yes. Yeah, that's about it. Uh, if you want to check out our show, we, uh, we're we usually about a once a monther, and uh, we have a good time. Usually I make a few good jokes. So, yeah. Good, good to know. That's that's all podcasts are good for jokes. That's the way Listen, I see it. This is a this, this ain't NPR, people. All right, yeah. let's, let's, let's just all relax here. So that's right, James. Thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me, Jeff. Appreciate it. Well, I again want to thank James for coming on. Uh, Twitter handles for the show, folks. You can find the show Twitter at LGB Radio. Uh, your hosts, Kirk Price, can be found at Kirk Price. Bill Days at Billy Blue Note, and myself, Jeff Ponder can be found at jponder94. So again, this is a week of three shows uh, since we kind of had that little extra 200th episode uh, last week. It kind of pushed uh, things back a little bit with Behind Enemy Lines, so I'm getting caught up. So we do have three shows this week. Uh, the next one will be on Wednesday, August 14th. Uh, Chad, a friend of the show we've had on before from Beyond the Blade and Die by the Blade podcast. Uh, that is all Sabres coverage. Uh, Chad is uh, a very fun guy to talk to. Again, we've had him on the show before. We had him on after the Ryan O'Reilly trade, and uh, we've kind of kept in touch since then, just uh, kind of sharing news and notes from our teams together. And, uh, yeah, always fun to talk to Chad. So that is on uh, Wednesday, August 14th. 
Well, that will conclude this episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, everyone, let's go blues. Play Gloria. Thanks for listening to the Hockey Show Blues Report of the Week. Have a great day. Play dance. I'm rocking and rolling.